Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you. For it is more profitable for, profitable for you that you one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. As John Madden was fond of saying, hey, wait a minute. Our scripture lessons for today do not include the one about cutting off our hand, do they? Instead, we heard about lots of other body parts. Hearts and eyes and ears and leaping legs from the prophet Isaiah. And we heard about sitting at one's feet and viewing things through eyes in a certain way from St. James. And in the Gospel, Jesus deals with body parts too. In the text immediately before today's reading, a Syrophoenician woman falls at his feet and begs him to cast out an unclean spirit from her daughter's mind, soul, and body. And then he opens the ears and he loosens the tongue of a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And despite his charge to those who witnessed or heard about this miracle to keep it a secret, many of them disobeyed and they shot off their mouths. Yes, many of our sins do involve body parts, but just as often they require nothing more than a rebellious mind. Our most offensive appendage, though, the one that gets us into the most trouble, the one that stops our consciences and causes us to think about nothing but pleasure and self as the blood drains from our brains, is not our hand. If something is to be cut off to keep us from sinning, if one member of our vile bodies causes more trouble and places us in more peril than any of the others, we know what appendage it would be. It is not the hand. It is the tongue. The greatest and most dangerous temptations do not come from our hands. They do not arise because our feet carried us down the wrong path, our eyes saw the wrong things, or our ears heard something offensive. Our worst dangers and sins do not arise from our digestive systems or even from our reproductive organs. They come from what we say. By the mouth of a person, his or her heart is known. Our wicked minds soil our lips. It is not merely the foul language that we might sometimes use. That is certainly bad enough. And it's not only when we gossip or we lie or curse our neighbor either. Even worse than that, we dare speak evil of those whom God loves. We fail to protect reputations or speak well of those who are kind to us, let alone those who are not. And sickest of all, we even betray our friends and our families. Could anything be more destructive than a husband or a wife speaking ill of a spouse? A parent speaking ill of a child. A child denigrating or insulting or disrespecting a parent. Repent, for every one of us has done it. The healing of the deaf mute was accompanied by quite a bit of ceremony. It is, after all, what his friends asked for. They begged our Lord to lay his hand on him. So he took the man aside, apart from his friends, and he put his fingers into his ears and spat, touched his tongue, looked and sighed to heaven, spoke the Aramaic word, Ephatha, 
and it was done. The touching indicates what was broken, what was being restored and healed. Looking to heaven, Jesus showed from where the healing came. The sighing indicated the sympathy and compassion our Lord felt toward this sinner. Then he spoke, and it was done. He opened the man's ears and loosened his tongue with a word. What's more, Jesus opened the man's heart as well. But one ceremony in this whole scenario gets less attention than the others. Maybe we don't even notice it unless it's called to our attention because it doesn't really seem to be part of the healing process. But it is. You see, Jesus took that man apart from his friends and away from the crowd. This deaf mute was, like all of us, a man of unclean lips. He dwelt among a people of unclean lips. His friends were dangerous. Birds of a feather do flock together. We know a man by the company he keeps. Consider their conversations later. They delight in gossip and in self-promotion, spreading the news about Jesus even against his direct command not to tell anyone. See how raucous they are in their sin. See how their tongues are loosened, loosened against the intentions and the directions of God. And you too must be pulled away from your friends, even away from your family if necessary, to save you. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus said. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Ouch. Now, maybe it's not too bad to have to consider loving Jesus more than our friends, perhaps not even all that bad to actually try doing it. And we may even be able to love him more than our father and our mother possibly handle that okay. But it's pretty tough to imagine and think of loving him more than our children. And what about hating your children in order to love Jesus? Can you do that? Most of us can't. So repent of that too then. Love God above all else. Since he has chosen you and brought you to faith, How successful are you going to be in choosing to follow him, to remain in that faith? You think you can do it alone? Children sometimes play a game that goes something like this. They imagine that some supervillain has captured their family or friends in in a fiendish trap, and they, the children that is, imagine that they are superheroes trying to save them. Now, time and circumstances are such that they can only save one person. And they'll spend hours trying to figure out which friend or which family member they'd save, perhaps even dreaming up ways to sacrifice themselves so that they can save two instead of just one, and so on. You probably know what I mean. You may have even played that game yourself way back when. So imagine it this way. We sometimes place Jesus in the role of that villain. He says, you can either have me, or you can have your child. Which will you choose? Will you save your baby from the torture and 
send Jesus to the cross? Will you name him or her Barabbas? The choice is only hypothetical, of course, unless you're Abraham, there with a knife in his hand, poised over his only son, Isaac. Or unless you take the words of our Lord to heart and realize that he's serious, dead serious. How can God be so cruel, so strict, so absolute? Does he really want us to cut off our hands, to cut out our tongues, to be separated from our friends and hate our mother and our father, our wife and our children? Yes. Yes, he does, if that's what it takes to remain faithful. Repent. Do not judge God. Don't decide for yourself what kind of a God he should be, what sort of instructions he should give. Who do you think you are, after all? And notice that all of these things have a spiritual dimension, not just a physical sense. Our Lord removed the deaf-mute from his friends, but then he gave him back to them. Cutting out our tongues may stop us from slandering out loud, but it would not stop sin. And it would render useless one of the gifts that God has given to us to use in his service. It would keep us from praising him and proclaiming him to others. God seeks the restoration and the rehabilitation of all, not paralysis and not disfiguring. He does not simply desire that you don't sin. He also wants good works for you, as St. James taught us today. He has work for you to do in his kingdom, things that he has prepared for you. He has a use for that hand that once caused you to sin. He has a message for that tongue to proclaim, that tongue that once slandered and blasphemed. And that work includes prayer and confession and praise, as well as the nurture and the care and the spiritual training of our children and the spreading of the gospel to a world of wagging tongues and unclean lips. Just because we are prone to abuse the good things that God gives does not mean that they are not good or that God does not want us to have them. Do not cut off your hands or any other of your body members, but commit them and put them to good use in service to your neighbor. It was not only the deaf-mute who was changed. Jesus also changed his praying friends. They were all astonished beyond measure at what he had done. They had asked him to do it, of course, but even so, when he did, they were still astonished. They were changed. And so were all of you. God gave more than they asked, more than they imagined. And he always does, both for them and for you. He didn't merely remove the impediments to hearing and speech. He also removed the impediments to praise and confession. He changed the man's heart. He declared it clean. He took all of its filled, all of its guilt upon himself. And out of that man's mouth, past his lips to make him clean, came the great amen of faith. He had been touched by God, fingers in his ears, hands upon his tongue. He had been called out, but it had been for mercy's sake all along. And the burning coal of Jesus' love, the Mercy of that spit even also touched the unclean lips and the tongues of his friends. And they were seared clean by faith as well. 
They were purified by the sacrifice and the gift of God in the midst of His creation. He calls all of it back into order, removing the curse, gathering the church together like a hen gathers her chicks, opening hearts and ears to receive Him, and loosening the tongues of His people to sing His praise. Thus He causes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak, the lame to walk and the blind to see. He places the solitary into families and brings the dead to life. All these things He has done well, for God is good. Hearing and speaking are metaphors of faith and of life, like seeing and believing, like eating and drinking. And God does all these things for you, and all of these things for free. Even though His ways are beyond our discovery and beyond our comprehension, He has made His love known to you. He does love you, you know. He welcomes and He is delighted by your prayers and by your works. He gives you a family here together in this house. Look around at your genuine brothers and your sisters, those who are here in the very same family, children of the same Heavenly Father, all of us born of Christ's bride, Mother Church. He gives you ears to hear and a tongue to praise. All that you have, all that is you, your heart and your mind and your body and your soul, and yes, even your tongue, have been washed in His blood and covered with His name. For His sake you are made good and pure. So too are the fruits of your lips and the sound of your praise, as is the love of your family and your friends. You've been healed. You've been restored. You've been touched by God with water and spirit. You're a blood brother with God in ways beyond finding out. So it is that He feeds you again this day with His Word and with His body and His blood and the grace and the peace that passes all understanding. And who can be anything but astonished beyond measure at that? Thanks be to God, for He does all things well. In Jesus' name, Amen.